I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson, reviewing all things Week 13 in the NFL, Sam. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight, where you can put $20 into your account, use the promo code PFF, and receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. It's $40 of value for just $20, and you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the U.S., it's Monkey Knife Fight, Sam. Go do it right now. Monkey Knife Fight. Deposit your $20. Use the promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Sam, I predicted 10-point games for every single game Yeah. this weekend. It didn't go that way. Let's go through all of the action. It was a crazy one, wasn't it? It was a weird week of games. Um, uh, I love the NFL. NFL Red Zone, Scott Hansen, the 200th show apparently this weekend. Yeah. He was, they were talking about, you know, when they run through all the touchdowns and there's receiving touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, return touchdowns, and then an other category where, you know, weird stuff happens. A lot of others. Seemed to be a lot of others this weekend where just bizarre stuff was happening in pretty much every game, actually, to cause all kinds of weird scores. If he's at 200, our buddy Andrew Siciliano. Three, oh, closing in on 300 now. Oh, I thought he was probably close to 1,000. No. That dude set the standard. All right, let's go game by game, as we always do. Starting with the Cleveland Browns, 45, Tennessee Titans, for, no, 41 to 35. 41. That yeah. was the actual score. Mm-hmm. 41-35, Browns. Um, this one surprised me because I sat yes. there the entire podcast last week previewing it, saying Browns haven't beaten anybody. The t- Titans have the dudes and Corey Davis, too. And, man, the Browns put a beat down on him early. And the Titans crept back into it. But, yeah, I think it was a statement by the Browns. Hey, we're a real playoff team. Yeah, it was. Um, nine and three now. Their odds to make the playoffs jump to 97%. So let's let's say they'll make it for the first time since 2002. Oh, really? Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. 97%. I'm okay at taking that chance at this point. So they'll probably make the playoffs now. Um, and this was a statement in that, you know, Tennessee – also, a potential playoff team just took control of their division the week before, right, with the, the victory over the Colts. Um, it does still come with the kind of caveat that, you know, Tennessee's defense is kind of garbage. So oh, they still, well, have. I'm just saying, right, it's a weird thing that you're looking at this Cleveland team and you're saying they're clearly good, right? Eight and three, nine and three now. They are winning games they're supposed to win. The only real problems have come against the two division teams, uh, Baltimore and Pittsburgh, which were. Those are the games that were torpedoing their um, points differential, which you were pointing out before the, the game. Yeah. You amongst others. And I'm not going to name the other people that were making the same point because it's not good company. Um, you know, Clay Travis may have mentioned the same thing before the game. Anyway, 
they were skewing their sort of overall points differential. Like, this is a good team, but it's still like, where's the good team that you've got to win against, you know? Now, Tennessee's a good team, but they don't have a good defense. Um, and then the other thing that confuses me is, like, they absolutely stomped them in the first half. What was it, 38-6 or something? 38-7 at halftime? Like, an absolute wrecking machine in the first half. They just destroyed them, blew them off the field, and then, you know, over the course of the second half, they couldn't really get going again, and Tennessee forced back up against the wall, were inevitably going to put up some points, and they ended up making it like a one-score game at the death. Um, I don't quite know what to do with that. Like, do you give them total credit for, like, a complete blowout? Or how much do you factor in how close it ended up becoming by the end? This happens all the time in games, right? Like, teams, it's close. It's a close game, and one team pulls away at the end, and it's like, oh, well, they were the better team, and they finally pulled away, you know, or the team that dominate gets up, you know, multiple touchdowns, and it's like, well, they let them back in the game. I mean, it's just, it's a 60-minute game, and there's ebbs and flows and stuff, and it, look, the Browns are not... 24 points better than the Titans so when they're up 31 to 7 and it was more than that 38 to 7 38 to 7 sorry at halftime right so when they're up 38 to 7 it's like well they're up 31 points at halftime well they're not going to win 70 to 14 sure they're not going to win 80 to 14 and I'm not even saying that they would you would expect them to win the second half but it got to six points (laughs) it got to being a one score game like yeah I mean surely you want somewhere in the middle if anything, I think it should be a lesson for the Titans. I know Derrick Henry's made some big plays in recent weeks, and you're playing from behind, but you get into these must-pass situations. You put the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands. There was some quirky stuff, too. A.J. Brown fumbles. Yeah. There's... Multiple times. Multiple. There's also Tannehill could have had a pick that wasn't necessarily on him, but it was negated by, uh, you know, a, a roughing or a personal foul penalty in the, se- in the, in the secondary. There was a lot... Like, the Browns were hitting hard. Balls popping all over the place, fumbles and drops and various things like that. I would give the Browns credit, but I also look at this from a Titans perspective and say, look, when you can... You scored 35 points when you just had to line up and chuck it. There's probably more games where you should do that oh, I instead think, of, you know, yeah. working on the uh, the body blows. Definitely. And it's not just the Titans. There'll be another team that I think is a better team to make that point with overall. Um, and we'll get to them later. But Well, can you can you just... Just back up a second. Can you give the Browns credit for something, please? They won. Anything? Scored 41 or... points. Just give them credit for something. I'm giving them credit. They won the game. Good. I, they, I didn't expect them to win this game. They won the game. That's impressive. Um, they gave themselves now a 97% chance of making the postseason for the first time since 2002. The longest active playoff drought now that since Buffalo made it a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Um, it's impressive. And the, the thing that I think is the biggest story for Cleveland is... Like, this was a good, this was a big statement game, not just for Cleveland generally, but for Baker Mayfield. Like, his season has been weird because overall, he hasn't been as good as he was even last year when everyone was willing to write him off and say the whole thing is a disaster. Let's start over. Everything around him has been better, but Mayfield hasn't necessarily. Um, Again, most of that is being dragged down by those two horrendous games, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Since then, though, He's also dealt with more weather than any quarterback in the NFL, right? He's been like the one quarterback that's had his season sort of screwed around with terrible weather games. Weather matters. Right. So you're just down to the – and then obviously his best games have come against the Bengals, who just never even forced him into a second read, right? Bengals matter too. All he had to do was be like a human jugs machine, just turn back and hit a moving target. Um, 
So you're kind of left with this tiny sample size of actual data for Mayfield this season. Um, and the data that you do have is trending in the right direction. Like he's better now than he was at the start of the year. But it's on. It's an incredible small sample size stuff. He was really good in this game. He showed more of the stuff that he hasn't shown that much over the last two seasons. And in particular, there was like a wide array of different types of pass. Like even yes. when he's been playing well, it's been very much of the drop back, uh, select your open target that you want, and then fire the ball at him at a million miles an hour, often into tight windows, and it's impressive, but... Like there was, it's a very one style of throw. There was a lot of touch passes in this game. There was a lot of nice, um, just a spectrum of nice passing plays for Mayfield. But again, you have to at least throw the caveat that, you know, Tennessee can't cover anybody. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the first touchdown pass, I'm sorry, the second touchdown pass by Baker. Look, I, I like the fact that you mentioned the variety, right? First touchdown pass to Jarvis Landry. He went through his reads. He got to his second read, found the open man in the end zone. Good job. Second one, coverage boss to Kendall right. Lamb, the, the offensive lineman in the end zone. You have the 75-yarder to Donovan Peoples-Jones, which is just... Also coverage bust. Bad, bad coverage bust. But the touch pass to Rashad Higgins, the 17-yarder, yeah. that was probably the best pass of the day. Beautiful pass. For Baker. And again, we, we were talking, it just seems like he's going out here just firing laser beams left and right. I liked the touch, I liked the pocket movement, and I liked the patience that he showed across the board in this game all of our complaints that we've had throughout this season i think in this particular one game he answered them he did a great yeah. job by the way even the pass to kendall lamb like i'm not convinced he always would have put that amount of air and loft on that simple a pass he's like, one week removed from you know missing I mean? wide open touchdowns sure yeah but even forgetting the fact that he missed one before like just just knowing it's a it's it's an offensive lineman I need to sort of loft this in there, right? As opposed to, hey, I've got a wide open guy in the end zone. Quick, hit him. You know, just just that I think is probably notable. I, I, this is as good as you could expect Baker Mayfield to come out of a game looking. It doesn't mean like it's impossible to answer every single possible question about his game in one weekend, right? It's that's not realistic. So to come out of a game like this and say that was as good as you could possibly expect from Baker, but we have to acknowledge that it was Tennessee's defense. I think is fine. That's as good as you could expect to happen. And for Cleveland, like now you're nine and three, you're probably going to make the postseason. You're going to have sterner tests, but you have to feel better about your future with Baker Mayfield and the prospect of picking up his fifth year option, et cetera, than you did oh, even yeah. a week ago. I mean, the fact that there's been all these ebbs and flows throughout the year does tell you a bit of the story. Baker's after three years, probably in that middle, the, the glorious middle tier of quarterbacks that I like to talk about a lot. Because the fact that you're actually debating this. Think about how many quarterbacks you've debated. Where are they over the last, say, three years? The Matthew Staffords of the world. You called him a coach killer last last episode, hmm. which is extreme. Uh, Cam is Newton. It? You know, guys like that. The guys that are in the middle tier of quarterbacks, you're like, ah, you know, can you win with them? Or do you want to win with them? Do you, do you want to go to war with this guy versus that guy? You know, Baker's probably there. Um, you mentioned the Tennessee defense. I mean, they're trotting guys... Was this inevitable anyway? They're trotting Breon Borders out there. Yeah. Uh, Jayon Brown being injured, one of the better coverage linebackers who's going to hit free agency, by the way. One of the better coverage linebackers in the league. He's out. You have David Long replacing him. He had a, a rough outing. So there's a lot going on in that tent. Will Compton's playing football for the Titans right now at linebacker. You know, a, guy, you know, a journeyman average option there. I, their back seven is in shambles. 
in Tennessee. Um, let's let's make some definitive statements here, though. A few weeks ago, we said, "Is Baker better? Is the Browns' offense better without Odell Beckham?" <laughs> Since that time, number two most efficient passing offense in the league. Is this another example of addition by subtraction? Nothing against OBJ, but just essentially forcing the quarterback to read it out, spread the ball around, plus every now and again you get a 75-yard busted coverage to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah, I think we've said this before that if the team is better without Odell Odell Beckham in the lineup, and it's getting harder to make the case that they're not just based off the on-off splits, right? They, They do appear to be better when he isn't there, right? If that's true, the problem isn't Odell Beckham. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. He's too good a receiver for him to actively be a drag on the overall production of the offense. So if it is true that they're better without him, the problem is that him being there causes you to lean into some bad habits, whether it's forcing him the ball, whether it's just not you know, giving the ball to guys that are open because you're looking for him too early in the progression. Whatever it is, you're changing something in a way that isn't beneficial to accommodate a receiver as good as Odell Beckham, and that's on you to figure out how you're falling into these traps and fixing it going forward. Um, But it does appear that that is the case. The other thing I think that's encouraging is, look, you're right that Tennessee's uh, secondary, they can't cover anybody. The personnel is bad. That being said, this is a team that wants to establish the run. We expected this to be Derrick Henry versus Nick Chubb. Let's just grind each other into dust. Yeah, game flow is not what I expected here. Right, and obviously Tennessee got knocked out of that by the fact that they went down like a million points at halftime. But for Cleveland to even attempt 25 passes in the first half because that's what was open has to be encouraging, right? This is an offense that will take the pass if you give it to them. Like, if you're bad enough in coverage that there's going to be wide-open coverage busts all day, they will adjust and they will they will throw the ball. So Baker Mayfield, at halftime, had was 20 of 25 for 290 yards and four touchdowns. For him to even have that stat line in any game, given that this is the offense they want to have, they, this is essentially the Minnesota Vikings offense, right? Can you conceive of a single scenario whereby Kirk Cousins ever has that stat line at halftime? No, that's a, it's a great point because, again, I come back to the ability to not you don't you don't have to run the ball to a, you know to set up the rest of your life. You just take what's there, right? And you you should go into certain games where it's like, hey, our advantage is is throwing the ball, and you can still run play action, you can still do all that stuff, but you can dictate the action in a whole different way. Now he he had a lot of passes too because again Tennessee's turning the ball over and right. there's just a lot of quirky plays, but. I think that it's a great point that you make. I think the ability to win with a different formula is important. And I'll, and I'll flip this back to Tennessee again, right? The defense was bad, but I think, there's, I think there's times where Tennessee needs to switch their formula. I know we're coming off a few weeks where Derrick Henry's been the man and all that stuff. But you're going to have some weeks where that's the case, and then other weeks where, you know, Tannehill's going to be the guy. He threw the ball really, really well and had some – some bad bounces here and there, and he was a big part of Tennessee getting back uh, into the mix here. So, Was there a team that made out better this weekend than the Indianapolis Colts? Like, you essentially have the division taken away from you by losing to Tennessee, and then the next week, Tennessee gets stomped by a team they were supposed to win? By six. Yes, stomped by six against a team they were supposed to beat, and then you hang on against the Houston Texans in a you know potential trap game a, a more dangerous game than it sh- than it looks record wise 
and suddenly you're right back in the thick of it again. Well, let's get into that one. They, the Colts hung on because the Texans were unable to. A dropped snap. Dropped? Wayward snap. Bad well. Dude, that snap, snap was that could have way been off. Well, I mean, just look, it was like when Al said that somebody, uh, Kelsey dropped a pass that was like four feet behind. Commentators night, love but, doing that. Yeah. I mean, it, look. Dude, that, that snap was like down here. That was. No. On the center. I wasn't blaming that Watson. That sounded a lot like saying. you were blaming a, Watson. It was, a, it was a snap that was not caught. Yeah. because This was, was an odd game, too. Wait. You know, Phil, Phil Rivers ends up with a good stat line. We're talking about a busted coverage to Jonathan Taylor for a big touchdown. There, this was kind of a few big chunk plays. Uh, you have no – with no Will Fuller. I mean, shout out to one of our viewers who said, Steve, I love you. I like a lot of your takes. But – Isaiah Coulter is going to replace Will Fuller. Mm-hmm. He meant Chad Hansen. <laughs> I, re- I appreciate that. He meant Chad Hansen. Um, somebody's got to look up. Uh, let me fire up Wikipedia while you start talking about this game. I, everywhere that Chad Hansen has been, former Cal receiver who is really good at Cal, mm-hmm. at Cal, looked good coming out, finally has his breakout game like five years into the league, 17 teams into his career. Uh, but it just wasn't enough. I thought you were about to credit him for the success of a bunch of passing games for a second. You were just going to list out who he's been playing for. No, Um, I just know that he's been on like every roster along the way here, hasn't he? I'm just kind of bummed that the game ended the way it did. Like it was set up for Deshaun Watson to, you know, get his game winning touchdown drive to overcome the loss of Will Fuller, to overcome the the problems that they've had just to basically be Superman again, despite like this is as close as he's had, as he's come this season to having a bad game. Right. And he put up 340 passing yards and played pretty well. Uh, so I think that is massively encouraging. Yes. They struggled a little bit without Will Fuller, Will Fuller, but no, it didn't turn Deshaun Watson into having one of those bad games that has been, the difference between him and the elite quarterbacks over the past couple of seasons. He didn't have a stinker. He still played pretty well and was set up to, to have his team still right in the thick of it against a much better opponent. And then Wayward snapped that he couldn't handle game over. Night-night. Drop snap. Uh, Chad Hansen drafted by the Jets in the fourth round. 15 games as a rookie. He ends up getting waived. He spent 10 days with the Patriots, eight days with the Patriots, about two weeks with the Titans, a uh, few months with the Broncos. Uh, he spent June 11th through July 25th okay. with the Saints. Hmm. There's not a lot of football being played between June no. and July. And then the Texans claimed him off waivers July 26th, 2019. Waived him during final cuts, signed to the practice squad, futures contract. He's out there, had 100 yards. I'm yesterday. always kind of fascinated by those like you know 10-day periods. <laughs> during which nothing is happening and yet a guy is on your roster and then cut like what happened in that 10 days sometimes it's just a free look at a guy even if it's do you even see anything in those 10 days oh june through july no that's like when you're off right yeah like there's periods where these guys sign you you fill your roster and then something else comes i'm sure but literally you can have got nothing of value from that guy at all nothing nothing in fact he you probably didn't even know if he knew the play the you know like the playbook yet at that point uh, other key plays in this game, Kenny Moore, just an outstanding interception. You know, Watson had not thrown an interception in weeks, and this was a pass he puts right, I think it was Brandon Cooks, right, puts it right on his hands, and Kenny Moore, they, you know, dig, took it away from right him. over the middle, and then just they go to the ground, and before you know it, Kenny Moore has the ball. 
in his hands. That was Deshaun Watson's first interception in weeks. And look, we talk about defense a lot, and it's tough to predict and all that stuff. And while the Colts certainly had some breakdowns early, you know, 64-yarder to Kiki Cutie and Deshaun Watson with a, an 11-yard touchdown run and all that stuff, they made some plays. Like, they made – it looked like this this was going to be a shootout, and it really settled down in the second half, and the Colts' defense made some made some big plays. Yeah, Kenny Moore also had a really nice pass breakup in the end zone, I think. Um, he's He had a great game. Like, he's one of the better – uh, slot corners in the NFL. He you know, has been consistently. He's a really top quality player. That interception. Did that feel like, you know, simultaneous possession supposed to get like benefit of the doubt to the offense? It, I thought Moore had more possession. It felt like he had. It felt like it was simultaneous, and then Moore ripped it away from him. Like at the point, they're on the ground, right? In theory, the play's done, and then he grabs it away from him and it's like oh well he ended up at the ball so i guess pick there, there have been some calls this year where the old school letter of the law old school meaning like of the last eight to ten years in the nfl where they got very like des didn't catch the ball like letter of the law that they've just kind of let slip that was the marcus peters interception a few years let ago, slip few they like ago. changed it on the basis that it was dumb i don't know what the, yeah but there's that but there's also the, the chiefs had a delay of game with like two seconds on the play clock last night that was weird there and then um there was another one that i was gonna but this one too it just feels like they're just kind of yeah, it just feels like an interception let's go with the interception there's like there's some a few bad more officiating they're, calls they're far less letter of the law yeah i mean there was i think yeah i i think this weekend was just a lot of bad officiating across the board like half of the miami cincinnati game got ejected and multiple players were ejected for throwing a punch and when you looked at the replay there was no punch thrown. There right. were a few, like, you know, hands to the face pushing stuff, but nobody threw a punch. And yet the guy comes on the loudspeaker and is like, you know, whoever it is ejected for throwing a punch, also ejected for throwing a punch. Um, all, yeah, there was just a lot of weird – I think you're talking about this is just bad officiating, not any kind of weird swing of um, rules changes. Uh, neither offense scored in the second half, by the way. There was the two-point safety by the, uh, by the Colts. And that was it. And, um, yeah, I did. Watson it looked like Houston. They were going to be able to make that comeback. Just wasn't enough. And you're right. I think the Colts coming out of this week have to be thrilled with the Titans losing, and, and they're at 8-4 and four now. And if that is the worst game of Deshaun Watson's season, he will probably end the year as the best-graded quarterback in the NFL, despite playing for the Texans. You know, he's not going to pass Rodgers at this point. Hey, if that's the worst game of his season he might but that's just a ridiculous statement you have to why because he could have four more games in the 60s well he could but if he doesn't you're just the whole point about great anywhere between 60s and 70s like of course. the whole point about deshaun watson is that he has been like for the past couple of seasons he's effectively been at patrick mahomes level for like 80 percent of the year but the 20 percent where he is where he isn't is graded in like the 30s and the 40s and it drags his entire grade down like 10 points if that is his low point this year which is a grade of like 70 he will end up basically as good as any quarterback in the nfl over the course of the season like he'll be at that level he's not going to be the highest graded quarterback in the nfl <sighs> fine just take it back no all right where do you want to go next <laughs> i don't know where do you want to go uh, let's go to the nfc west the Rams and the we'll start with Rams and Cardinals, and we'll talk about whatever happened in Seattle. Rams, Cardinals. 
There was a point in this game, Kyler Murray's stat line read one of eight, 59 yards, touchdown, Mm. and two sacks for negative whatever. So one busted coverage, 59-yard touchdown. And then the rant, again, same thing that I said about the Colts, right? Like, you could, you'll have a, you know, a coverage bust here and there, and you have a few bad plays here and there. But the Rams' defense remains legit. I know they ended up giving up some points and all that stuff, but it's just the, it's the ability to – Kyler got sacked twice for 33 yards. That's on like, – vacating a clean pocket. They just create enough indecision in quarterbacks and create enough of a pass rush that it's so tough – to throw the ball against this Rams defense and they have done it week in week out since they got kind of beat up by the Bills and I think that is continues to be the most impressive story coming out of Rams camp this was one of the most interesting schematic matchups of the weekend going into it you're like the Rams like to play a lot of um, two high split safeties they essentially they're really good at discouraging the pass game overall right we saw what they did to Tom Brady and, and confusing him but generally they they try and take away your pass game with Jalen Ramsey locking down your number one, and then the other two guys eliminating two and three. Just across the board, they make it really difficult to pass on them with those two higher safeties. But Kyla Murray sort of changes the numbers game, right? Because he's now a problem in the, as a, a rushing threat. And if you're if you got one fewer guy in and around the line of scrimmage, you may have some problems. So it opens the game, and like immediate coverage bust, massive touchdown for Kyla Murray through the air. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> that was supposed to be the thing the Rams were going to take away. Where was the coverage on that play? Um, but that was like their one, right? It's like, oops, we, we goofed on that one. And then they locked everything down. And they did exactly that. They really caused Kyler Murray some problems. The one-on-one matchup between uh, Jalen Ramsey and New Hopkins was pretty fun to watch. And as has been the sort of the trend, you would say that, that Jalen Ramsey – probably got the better of that matchup was clearly frustrating um new Hopkins. you do have to sort of factor in so it was like 10 targets five catches 81 yards he did get two touchdowns but when you consider how much they were throwing at him i would say that's you know a moderate win penalty in there yeah well. i would say that's a moderate win for ramsey overall given the the volume they wanted to throw at hopkins way but you also have to factor in there's a pass interference call as well a pretty deep one right. that wouldn't go into those stats um but again it's not just like what it's not just ramsey's effect on the number one right it's what that allows to happen to number two and number three and you have you know impressive games again from darius williams um impressive game from troy hill back-to-back touchdowns defensive touchdowns for troy um so yeah it it worked the rams defense particularly the coverage is a real problem for opposing passing games 35-yard pick six for Troy Hill. There was a point in this game, Arizona's down 17-7, to and it looked like, okay, this could be the turning point. It was fourth and 12, and Arizona goes for it. Uh, it was in Rams territory, I believe, but it was, you know, not that close to the end zone. Fourth and 12, they convert, end up scoring a touchdown to make it 17-14. to That felt like, okay, this could be the play. This could be the, the Kingsbury aggressive play call that turns Arizona's season around. But then... The Rams go right down the field uh, with a Jared Goff QB sneak for a touchdown and, you know, just essentially match it in answer. I mean, look, this Rams, the Rams are, it's going to come down to what their offense does and the way Goff plays. He has, he was, he was horrible last week against 
against the Niners. We had mentioned three out of five games he had graded under 55 or whatever it was in PFF grades, under 60 for sure. And if they could just play that efficient brand of football that they played yesterday, where you look at their at their stat line, it's like, all right, Robert Woods got involved. Cooper Cup is getting involved. Gerald Everett's getting involved. They're spreading the ball around. And then, oh, by the way, you know, Daryl Henderson will break off a 38-yarder every now and again. That is Rams football. And if they could just play some level of efficient football offensively, this defense is just really tough. It is. We do have to sadly acknowledge that the Rams are no longer in first place in the NFC East. They are, however, in first place in the NFC West now. They, they gave up the, lot, the lead in one division that isn't theirs for the lead in their own division. For their own division. In week four, 13, which is – that can't happen that often. That's, that's maybe a first. Week 13, the Rams finally re- relinquish the NFC East. Let's discuss NFC East versus NFC, NFC West then a little bit more. Mm. Giants and Seahawks. Wow. <laughs> It looked like a, a Yankees-Mariners game for a while. 5 not nothing. Just, then it was 8-5. to five. Not just the Giants versus the Seahawks. The Colt McCoy-led Giants. Like, whatever about an upset possibility when Daniel Jones was there. And, you know, with Daniel Jones, a quarterback, I would have kind of liked the Giants to at least cover, maybe threaten. But with Colt McCoy, you're like, eh, I mean, you know, should be a comfortable win for Seattle. You might have called it a 10-point win, Steve. I can't remember. You called pretty Did much everything a 10-point win. win. Probably. You called most of the games a 10-point win. I don't for, remember which ones they were. But it wasn't. Um, and, yeah, like, that's a real blow to Seattle. I mean, not only do they literally lose the division lead, the playoff seeding, all those kinds of things, but, like, this, they were supposed to go 4-0 and for that run of easy games, easy quote-unquote games. Yeah. Um, be 11-4 and or whatever it is. Look like one of the better teams in the NFC – even if nothing had really changed and all of the problems in your team were still there, you at least were supposed to get like a relatively comfortable month of play and be able to look look better and feel more comfortable about yourself. Uh, you fall at the second hurdle and lose to the Giants and don't look good doing it. Yeah, and it was another it was another rough game for Russell Wilson. Right, he had a, he had the two really bad ones against the Bills and the Rams. Bounced back against the Cardinals, played okay against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. But this was another one where you're taking too many sacks. Not only are you taking sacks, but you're taking like the 15, the 15 yard loss variety. Right. Um, you know, some of his better, one at least one of his better throws over the middle of the field just not caught. It's, it's one of those, everything was going right for the offense early in the season, right? We talked about, hey, Brian Schottenheimer deserves some credit. Because Russell Wilson's on pace for 975 touchdowns, and some of these are easy, right? They're they're schemed up, and it's great. Plus, he's making special throws. You're not getting the easy scheme plays anymore. You're getting when DK, you know, DK will you know, drop a pass every now and again. I'm not not the the jump ball that he kills the corner, but you know, play over the middle that would have been a nice chunk play. And Russ isn't seeing the field as well. These are he's not seeing it and feeling it like he was early in the season the million yard sack is the downside to that russell wilson style right yeah the you know where he's a guy that consistently wants to drop deeper in the pocket than other quarterbacks and, and it works for him right it's generally speaking it's a style that it's the last thing you would ever coach anybody to do but he actually makes it work you run beyond the point where your tackles are actually blocking the guy you dance around like way deeper than the pocket and you somehow find a play to make. 
the downside of that is when you screw it up, when you get it wrong and you you can't get away from the guy chasing you down, you haven't just lost seven yards. You've lost 15, 20 because you were all the time your escape is get deeper, 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 then make a miss and then come back. But if you don't manage to make a miss, you just lost more and more and more yards. And that's like whatever about sacks being drive killers, <laughs> 15 to 20 yard sacks might as well. You might as well punt on the next play like you're done. Um, yeah, Russell Wilson didn't have a good game. I also thought, you know, heading into this game, it was like poor old James Radbury must have been having like, you know, Pavlovian reactions to seeing DK line up opposite him. Like I just spent my entire career buried in the NFC South yeah. against Julio Jones and Mike Evans and this murderous row of elite receivers killing my overall grade and performance and coverage numbers. I finally get the hell out of there and I'm having the best season of my career like the best coverage numbers of my life. I look like a true number one corner, and now I've got to cover DK Metcalf. Um, it's the nature he, of the position, man. It is, and he did a good job. Like, he caused DK some problems. And, you know, I thought for a second that he got a hand in there with that one that he sort of dropped the high pass that he dropped over the middle. Didn't, yeah. but he was still close enough. It was a play where everyone still was... Still making him tough plays. Yeah, there was a play where everyone was, you know celebrating including dk for stiff arming stiff him to the arm ground. that got right. him one more yard that was a great now it was a great defensive play after the catch like he gave up the first down at that yeah. point but like dk goes to stiff arm into stiff arm him to hell buries him into the turf but bradbury like rides the stiff arm grabs hold of dk and takes him to the ground in the course of the stiff arm that is a great defensive play against a guy as physically imposing as as metcalf is like metcalf can get up flexing all he wants but that could easily have been like you're buried to the turf and he goes for 25 more yards. Instead, you took him down then and there. Bradbury did a great job in this game of limiting one of the scariest receivers in the NFL. Oh, everybody was going nuts about the stupid stiff arm. Including DK. Like he gets up flexing like he just took it 80 yards to the house. I like Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz, the Chiefs right tackle because he's injured. I don't like the fact that he's injured, <laughs> but I like the fact that he tweets during Chiefs games. He's just a fan now. Yeah. Right. While he's injured. And pretty honest, too. Yeah. So Travis Kelsey has like a legitimate stiff arm, like throws a guy to the ground and then, you know, mm. runs away from him. Yes. It was like, that's a stiff arm, you know? Not this thing that you guys celebrated an hour ago from, uh, from DK where he picked up the extra yard. I, I stand with Mitchell on that. I also stand with my take that this Giants defense is feisty. Now, look, their pass rush still is not as good as the five sacks of Russell Wilson would indicate. But you've got – because a lot of that, again, is Russ holding the ball and everything. But you have Leonard Williams and his – He's a free agent again, and he's just quietly consistent and productive. Had a ton of pressure, multiple sacks in there. They just made a ton of, a ton of key plays. And once again, on the back end, it's it's feisty because it's an, it's Tay Crowder making plays and Darnay Holmes and Logan Ryan, who they picked up late. It's like, who, who are making plays for these guys? On paper, it's one of the worst-looking defenses in the league. But every week, they seem to just overachieve. They're just overachieving. And I thought they did a great job. Again, if, if Russ didn't see the field well or he's hesitating, a big part of it is what the Giants did. And, uh, and from a Wilson standpoint, he had an unlucky interception on the yeah. drop pass to Chris Carson. He also tried to throw the game away, throwing the ball right to yep. the cover two safety. And uh, what's his name? Love. Julian Love couldn't, couldn't finish the play. So um, a lot of stuff going on in this game. But, man, 17 to 12. 12 points against the Giants and Colt McCoy not expected. Not good. Um, 
they're, you know, this sort of highlighted the problems that I think Seattle has. A bunch of them. One, you know, their defense is okay, but they, they're still vulnerable. Um, and the, the kind of real issue with the defense showed up at the end, right? It's like your defense is not great. And if where that shows up in a big way is if your offense hasn't already got a lead and suddenly the clock is ticking away late in the game and you need a stop, you need one stop to get the ball back. Otherwise, like the fact that you have Russell Wilson, who's, you know, ice in his veins, two-minute drill, game-winning drive, none of that matters if you can't get him the ball back. Like, that was where that was showing up. And then late in the game, two things. One, that pass protection, the offensive line, it's been better this year, but particularly now they've had a couple of injuries. Again, any offensive line in the NFL, once you have to go into the bench, yeah. you've got real issues. So their offensive line was already kind of on a knife edge, just generally the way they, they are talent-wise. The second they're dipping into the bench, Chad Wheeler at right tackle, just problems. Um, yeah, there was a couple quick wins in there for, for the Giants. Yeah, and then just overall, like when teams do take away a DK Metcalf, if Tyler Lockett isn't 100% and toasting the other cornerback, you don't have that much left. Like as much as it's great when everything's firing on all cylinders, if suddenly DK isn't this like guaranteed win deep down the field every play and Tyler Lockett isn't 100%, you're kind of out of options. Could you get Josh Gordon back helping oh, stop it. in the mix? He's reinstated. He is. When was the last time Josh Gordon was good? 2018. 18? Yeah. Mm. 18 with the Patriots. Mm. Really? Yeah, look at it. He was good. Yeah. He wasn't? No. Well, he was. So, he early two, so throughout 2018, Josh Gordon was pretty good until he got suspended again. He's good compared to their current receivers. I'm not sure he was actually that good. Well, that's a good point, too. So where do you go here if you're Seattle? Just got to play better. Yeah, I mean... You still look at a fit. You still have the Jets. Yeah, you still have the beneficial slate of like of games. You just lost one that you shouldn't have. The funny thing is, we, we were chalking up the next four games as losses to the Giants and wins to the for the Seahawks. It's a big upset. 17-12. to 12. Your first... Look, I hyped it up. First place battle. So your uh, NFC first place quarterbacks right now, Colt McCoy, Taysom Hill, Aaron Rodgers, and Jared Goff. Yeah. Does this change anything for you for the Giants? Other than the fact that they're now like the presumptive favorite in the NFC East in terms of like somebody has finally distanced themselves from the pack for like a game. Um, but their next, like their run is still not nice, right? It was Seattle. Arizona becomes an interesting one now, right? That I think is a more live a live contest than you would have said. They're a game apart in the stand. I mean, right. the NFC standings yeah, overall. They've, they've moved closer happen. since last week, right? So I think that one has now actually become Old a live NFC East a live game. They then have the Browns. You would expect Cleveland to win. They then have the Ravens. You would expect the Ravens to win. And then, again, finish Week 17 against Dallas. No, it doesn't change a ton for me, for the Giants, other than... They might win six instead of five now. I don't know. Just, the, the defense is tough. They're feisty. As I keep saying, it feels. I didn't think that they were twelve points feisty, but they're feisty. <laughs> the way the NFC East has worked this this year, it feels like really like, ten points because there was a safety. It feels like that will be the win, and then they'll somehow manage to lose to Dallas in Week Seventeen and end up with five wins anyway. Yes, that would be amazing. That would put, I think, a three way tie at the top of the division, five and eleven. You got to get on the board doing the NFC East. I, I'm not going to work out who takes the tiebreakers at that point. I there were some cl complaints about Pete Carroll's conservatism. Kicking uh -huh. the ball, punting the ball in Giants territory. 
he, he my biggest does he pro- change the, my biggest problem with this with that stuff for Pete Carroll is that I don't think he has a process. Yeah, like that's the concern. It's not. Well, that's when what I was. He, this is what I was going to say though. When he, it's easier to go for it when when Russ is hot. Sure, he plays the hot hand. Yes. more than anything. When Russ has a game where it doesn't feel like he's playing as well, you. He does not. it a hundred percent old school, just by like feel. Right. This is what I think is going on right now. Our offense is hot. We're cooking, all those kinds of things. Or, oh, no, the thing, the wheels have come off. It's not going well. My left guard is losing. All the things that, you know, the old school coaches and just general dinosaurs in the media will bitch about with the two-point conversions, the fourth down stuff, all the things that they drag up as things you can't possibly account for that are actually accounted for are the things that he runs through his brain when he makes one of those decisions. It's not a process. That's that's bad process. I mean, it is a process. It's just bad process. And I think that leads you to some wrong decisions. You also have Russ just straight dropping a snap. Remember the, the Josh Allen play, right? Just yeah. Drop snap or Except weird snap. Three times. Fumbles it and, oh, man. Seattle. Still Blown opportunity. Blown opportunity. Yeah, that. it really was. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies and helping customers choose the right solutions, Together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. So the NFC West now controlled by the Los Angeles Rams. Let's go Philadelphia Eagles and Green Bay Packers. Ah, this was QB controversy. Yeah, this was an interesting one. So Aaron Rodgers. Spreads, spreads the ball around. He's outstanding. Him and Devontae Adams, man, they just almost can't be stopped. Uh, Rogers' best throw of the day might have been to Valdez Scantling down the field, about 50-plus yards in the air, another drop for him. Uh, Rogers just throwing the ball at an incredible level down the field from an accuracy standpoint. You're big on, you know, drops are overrated as a concept, but that dude dials up the most high-leverage drops it's humanly possible to do well because i view it as getting getting open 50 plus yards down the field is the more difficult thing to do sure but on the other hand like at some point you dropping that ball literally costs your team seven points yeah but the alternative is there's another receiver who doesn't separate down the field and if rogers makes the same throw it gets tipped away or it's yeah but if you have the other guy who doesn't separate deep down the field you're not making that throw in the first place you're going somewhere else with the ball yeah i guess but it's yeah so then it's like a 10 yard it's just not as it's not as bad as it feels. <laughs> it's pretty if, bad. You, if you give me a guy that can get open 10 times down the field, he's going to catch seven of them, which is a terrible drop rate, right? If you if you drop three out of 10, that's terrible. But if he's going to get open 10 times and catch seven of them and create big plays, that is far more valuable. All right. I, that's more else. than enough time talking about Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Talk to me about Jalen Hurts overreaction Listen, Monday. I'm the host here. <laughs> Look, it's my podcast. I'll decide what I want to talk about. Jalen Hurts, overreaction Monday. What are we doing? I mean, they're probably going to start him now. They're probably going to start him. I I had a, 
I had a really nice take on social media last week. <laughs> Nuanced. It's all about Carson Wentz and his success. And I still believe that. I still believe if you're talking, look, there's a lot of things at play here, but if you're talking Eagle success over the next few years, Carson Wentz is probably your best bet for success. There's also people thinking about, okay, can you even, can you trade this contract? Think about how many, think about how many quarterback situations are wide open. I don't think anybody wants to take on that deal. So, hey, so hang on. New, for, New England? You would think New England wants a piece of that contract? Probably not the contract. I'm just thinking right. about New England and Indianapolis and some of these teams that need a quarterback at the end of the year. They're right. on, they've but got you have one-year guys. You have a quarterback contract, and you don't know if that guy's a quarterback at the moment. Anyway, forget that. That's getting way into the future. Save that for the yeah. Movie. I so I think I think you were right in that Carson Wentz is the more important element of this equation, right? The idea that we need to see what we have in Jalen Hurts before the end of the season. I, I mean, I think it's more important to figure out if Carson Wentz is viable before the end of the season. Having said that. I think you can make a pretty strong argument at this point that Wentz just played his way to the bench, right? You know, the way at some point the guy's just playing bad enough, you need to sit him down, the Marcus Mariota thing, right? You, at some point you just played your way to the bench and we have to make a change, not because the alternative is necessarily obviously better or is going to be a different pathway, but just because you can't keep playing like this. Like, this is horrendous. You're playing too bad. You're killing everything and we need to blow it up and reset. And I think that's what happened. Jalen Hurts came in. I don't know that he actually played that well, but he did provide a spark simply by not being Carson Wentz. Simply by not playing as wretchedly as Wentz was playing at that point, he gave them some kind of spark in the game. And, you know, if he moves forward and that's all he is, like, I'm not Wentz. I'm not going to actively undermine the offense at every single turn. It's something. It's it puts them back in the division race as a team that could potentially win a couple of games. I, I just, I don't know. Everyone's going to be excited about Jalen Hurts, right? He comes in, he throws a nice touchdown, um, makes a couple of nice plays. I, I mean, I... Uh, it's Jalen Rager with a 34-yard deep ball. Right, like and first... Rager, it's like sparking. He gets a... Rager almost and immediately. The, and then Rager yeah. returns a punt for like immediately Rager suddenly looks like... Receiver. Yeah, it's like, oh, look, we get rid of Wentz and then our first-round receiver suddenly looks like all the other first-round receivers and is a, a viable threat. I just don't... People are going to be really excited about him today and going forward. I don't know how excited to be. I, I think my point last week and the point I'm going to make that, yes, I think I would start Jalen Hurts now can both be true, <laughs> right? If you cannot trade a Carson Wentz your 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 highest level of success is probably based around Carson Wentz figuring it out once again at the same time if you're not even going to win it let's say you're not going to win the division this year not that any that's ever out of reach but if you're not going to win the division this year it doesn't hurt to have Jalen Hurts out there on the field and if good stuff happens I think you have you have a trade candidate too and it's not to say that Jalen Hurts won't be the starting quarterback for the Eagles going forward at some point. Part of the reason why I think from a team-building strategy it was okay to draft him in the second round was because you might get a high-end backup. You might get a guy at the time we were talking preseason, right? A guy that just goes out there in the preseason. Some team gets really intrigued and excited and wants to flip you back high draft picks and all that. I think all of that stuff is in play still. Um, or he's just maybe he's the future with Philadelphia or they're going to be drafted in the top 10 and they might grab a Zach Wilson there's so many things at play here 
But I think you want to have all those options on the table. Hertz also, he ran for 29 yards, and it, and it goes back to the same, the same argument I've made about Kyler Murray and about Taysom Hill and other rushing quarterbacks. By the way, I meant to mention with Kyler, only ran the ball a handful of times again yesterday, mm. and it's, it really hurts that Arizona offense when he's not a runner. They are dependent on him for five to ten plays per game of you know breaking one or two of those, right? Hertz brings this baseline that Wentz doesn't. If Wentz yeah. is missing throws left and right, he has been an efficient rushing quarterback, but it's not it's just like a scramble here and there, and he's been efficient with it this year. But Hertz brings a designed element to the running game plus the scrambling ability, the same way Taysom Hill does and Kyler and some of these other guys. So if they're off throwing the ball, the run game can kind of pick you up a little bit. Forget for a second evaluating the quarterback position for Philadelphia. If Hertz plays at that level, Hertz let Hertz lets you evaluate everything else. Like Yeah, you've uh, been uh, making this point a couple times here. It's not it's not terrible. Uh, yeah, the point Carson Wentz was reaching the point where everything was broken in Philadelphia. And the problem is he's playing badly enough that I can't figure out what to fix. You know what I mean? Like he's making everything look like a disaster. Like all the receivers are back now, but they all look awful because Carson Wentz is playing in a is playing terribly. The system isn't functioning. I don't know what to do with any of the receivers now. Hertz is at least based off you know whatever twenty snaps. Like Hertz is at least playing well enough that you can say, okay, now I can start to evaluate what the hell we do with Jalen Rager, and now we can figure out what to do with Travis Fulgham and how this group of receivers fits together in this offense, and we can create a system so that we can then actually plug whatever quarterback in whether it's Wentz whether it's Hurts whether it's a, a first round rookie and we at least know where everyone else should be and where, what everyone else should be doing look the, by the way with the Wentz stuff it started last year this is this is really an underrated story here things fell apart offensively for them last year absolutely and he had 12 touchdowns and three interceptions from week 11 on. But I've used this week 11 cutoff because that's where we had him number 27 in PFF grades last year, week 11 through the end of the season. And there were a lot of people who were like, look at Wentz and he's dragging Greg Ward, you know, to the playoffs and all that stuff. And there was an element to that, right? right. But still throw for throw, he had a 59 grade, mm -hmm. 59 and a, in a 61 passing grade this year, he's in that same ballpark. So I mean, we're talking week 11 through the end of – we're talking over a season's worth of well below average passing. I mean, if you really want to go out there, you can make the case that this isn't – this isn't even like a season and a half. This is who he's always been. He just stopped doing the absurd uh, high no, volatile I, stuff. I think you get a little bit too extreme with that because even – like you, you're, you're talking about 2017, hmm. right? 2018 an MVP campaign built on foundations of sand that was inevitably going to disappear and evaporate still once really the wind well. blew. I mean yeah I mean there's he still played really well sure and that's why he was a viable MVP candidate but the point is but in 2018 when, he was good too when the things you're leaning on are the things that are unsustainable when they cease to be sustained you go back to being whatever your baseline was and his baseline was this inconsistent always had a huge volume of negatively graded plays makes more bad mistakes and bad plays than other quarterbacks. That's fine when you are able to offset those with big plays and with, you know, with absurd play in key situations, high leverage situations like third and long, but those things are unsustainable. And when they cease to be sustained, you become a problem. 2018, he was still good too, 79 overall grade. And even last year, early 2019, he was getting some terrible uh, luck. Remember early in the season, all of his best throws 
were falling incomplete. Yeah. Anyway, we could we could discuss more about Wentz on the daily as we go. I, I think Hertz is going to be the guy going forward. I think Philadelphia is going to say. I mean, how could you go? I don't see how you can make that switch in the game. See how he played after that, and then go back to Wentz. That would be bizarre. It, it could happen, but I, I I think I think we're going to see Hertz, and it's and they're playing the Saints next week. And as our friend Adam Schefter, who was on the show last week, said, go check out the Adam Schefter interview from last week's preview episode. Could be Jalen Hurts versus Taysom Hill next week. So the two guys I said, hey, look, it could be an ugly, could be a JT Barrett game for either of them at any given time, especially in, in Philadelphia for Taysom. Get him out the out of the dome. Um, might feel like a college game where the guys have to make up for some passing deficiencies with the run game. But Hurts threw the ball pretty well overall. Interception kind of got hit on that. Um, is Green Bay the best team in the NFC, or is it, is it the Saints? Have we changed our opinion on this? And there is no Every best team week. in the NFC. Oh, okay. It's all chaos. Who knows? Nobody knows. Green Bay is weird, though, in that there are periods of pretty much every game where it looks too easy for them, and you're like, how does this team not score 50? How, do, how are they not the Chiefs, right? How do they not yeah. just score 50 every single week with Rodgers just playing pitch and catch to Devontae Adams, to Alan Lazard, and then they just go cool. They just slow down and stop. And the it, Chiefs just scored 20. By the way. I know. Bad, bad time to comp somebody to the Chiefs in terms of – we'll get to that later. But you know what I mean? Like Green Bay, they look phenomenal, and then it just ceases to function for a period of time. And typically when that happens, suddenly the game becomes close, and it's like, well, how, what, how, are this team, how are they not running away with this game? Well – they did, they did what championship teams do, and they did actually run away with it with Aaron Jones. 77-yard oh, touchdown run. How about smooth. that? That play on words. I, look, I, Packers are really good outside of a couple games so yeah. far this year. Um, but they're, they're a quirky one when they play some of the better teams because it's, it's a, a lot of it's just matchup-driven for them. Let's, let's discuss the Saints then. Saints and Falcons, 21-16, to the Saints win. Taysom Hill, look <laughs> – he threw the ball pretty well for the majority of the game. This is, we just rewind what we said two weeks ago. It's the same analysis. Yeah. It really is. Which is what we said in the preview. show. <laughs> like We're going to learn nothing new this week. The only thing you could learn this week is if he doesn't repeat what he did because you know, then you have a problem. If he does and he's suddenly accurate, he can, he's efficient, he can pass the ball, and, oh, you've got this like added you know, baseline of the run game, it's exactly the same as we thought two weeks ago. We have learned nothing new other than the fact that this still works against Atlanta. They ran for 207. He threw for 232. So they definitely moved the ball a lot. This, this week, was they only put 21 points on the board. My big takeaway with Taysom is all of that stuff's true. Like, he had 14 carries and, you know, had some scrambles and designed runs and all that stuff. Made some really nice throws. He's got a good arm, man. Ball ball comes out of his hand pretty well i think yeah. as far as like that's why the deep ball was not always the such deep a, ball stuff but but the, that's why that was weird it's because he does have yeah. the arm to get those to get it out there it just he's just bad at throwing them he actually i speaking of wentz when wentz came out of north dakota state i remember making the note he doesn't wentz did not play with great timing but he makes up for it with his velocity sure. that is Taysom hill throwing the ball right he can make a few throws where he's like, he's never going to look like breeze as far as getting through progressions but he gets the ball there my big takeaway, though, is the turnover-worthy plays for Taysom Hill. There seems to be – he had a ridiculous fumble outside the pocket, right? And a couple passes that – at least one or two passes that could have been picked, right? Those are the big ones for me that I think – he dropped back almost 40 times, right? 37, two sacks, a couple – over 40 times. 
it's really tough, I think, to trust him to make decision after decision after decision without turning it over. And if, if they have to go with him, I don't know when Breeze is coming back. If they have to go with him, you know, into the Chiefs game in a few weeks and into the playoffs for whatever reason or whatever it is, that's where I don't trust Taysom Hill. I actually think his – I kind of trust him as a passer in that regard. I'm not massively concerned about him putting the ball in harm's way as a passing quarterback with the caveat that those deep balls concern me every single one he attempts because it's going to be like 10 yards underthrown. Um, I, I'm actually more concerned about – I haven't looked at this, but he must have a pretty high career fumble rate just on general carries, right, which is the thing that he's supposed to be good at, right? right. He tends to put the ball on the ground quite a lot. And as high as that rushing makes his baseline overall – the threat that he can put the ball on the ground at any moment is not a an encouraging thing. Um, yeah, I think, th- by the way, these are his first two touchdown passes since like 2016. Like Higdon, yeah. Higdon, uh, the Broncos wide receiver come quarterback had thrown a pass, Hinton, yeah. a touchdown pass. Hinton, that's it. Had thrown a touchdown pass more recently than Taysom Hill had. These are the first two uh, since the BYU days. But I... Wait, it was? I thought he had... Some- I thought he had some in between. No. no. These were his first, first two touchdown passes since Gosh, 2016. Wide open. To, um, he had one taken off the board. Remember, point. like, he had the deep touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders the first game. That was uh, that's, yeah. negated. Um, but anyway, I, I think, again, repeating the analysis from, like, two weeks ago, I think the Taysom Hill offense functions against the Falcons. I, we don't know yet if it functions against a defense that can stop people. Um, Denver's defense, I think, is legit, particularly with Bryce Callahan there. Uh, so I think we just need to wait and see, right? They're going to face somebody that's somewhere in the middle between Denver and Atlanta, and that is the key. That is the thing that will test just how successful this offense can be actually against teams that matter. Over the last two years now, the Saints are now 8-0 with Teddy and Taysom Hill, yeah. the quarterback. Any thoughts on that? I mean, it sort of, well, a couple of thoughts. One, it shows just how good Sean Payton is at his job. And two, it probably tells you something about Drew Brees at this point. Oh, no. Which is something we've been saying I'm anyway. You up. Which is something we've been saying anyway, given his relative lack of high-end play. Stop it. All right. Saints, their best shot in the playoffs, the Saints. Taysom Hill or Drew Brees? I mean, how many ribs has Drew Brees got? They're healthy. All of them? Yeah. Because he has 11 breaks right now, and you only have 24 ribs. That's yeah, quite a large percentage of broken ribs. Listen, doctor, do they heal at the same time, or do they, like, well, this one's done after one week, this one takes eight weeks. Like, how long do the ribs I mean, how take? bad are the breaks? I haven't seen the x-ray, Steve. You can you can hook me up with the, so the films. Can. Maybe we'll get we that can, on the daily. Can, Sam Reed's We can Drew put it Reed's up there book. in the window. Look, just... That pop it up. perfect looking uh, so I'm saying, You pop reader. the x-rays up there. I'll, I'll give you some uh, prognosis. I mean, They're, Drew Brees is the, bet, is the best option for them to win games if he is healthy. Thank you. Okay, at least, at least we're there. Um, weird game for Matt Ryan on the other side. There, the Saints, again, continue to not make life easy for opposing quarterbacks. There's a lot of tight window throws and contested, contested catches. Matt Ryan made a lot of really nice throws in this game. Yeah. And uh, Marshawn Lattimore, you talked about James Bradbury's grade getting torched. Marshawn Lattimore had a rough time of it trying to cover Calvin Ridley and you know, when you have to cover Ridley and Julio throughout the entire game, you're going to get beat sometimes. So there was some 
some ugly stuff in there for Lattimore, who's still really good, but again, the nature of the position, you're going you're gonna to get beat. He does seem to be like elite against Mike Evans <laughs> and yeah. not against anybody else. He is really good against Evans. Yeah. Whatever, you know, they just they match up well. I, you, I think you've made this point before, that he get, like, when you get him invested in a game, it becomes really good. So they just need to figure out how to piss him off before every how single game. How do you not get invested for a Falcons game or just any NFL game? That's kind of like your job. Yeah, but somebody, needs, somebody needs to work out how to piss him off before a game so that he goes in there wanting to murder the opposing receiver the way he does with Mike Evans every game. You know who looked good making plays all over the field? That was Quan Alexander. Quan Alexander and Demario Davis. I mean, if Quan plays like this, running around making plays in coverage, him and De Demario Davis are one of the better most more athletic tandems in the league so look the saints defense still really really solid matt ryan made a lot of nice throws didn't show up in the stat sheet really only he completed under 50 percent of his passes but uh my takeaway on the bridgewater Taysom hill thing yeah sean payton's good at his job saints have built a really good roster that they can win yeah. multiple ways they showed it with teddy they won with defense a lot last year then bridgewater started to figure out before breeze came back they're winning it with Taysom Hill, the runner. They're winning it with, well, against Kendall Hinton. Um, they can win multiple ways, the Saints. So I, I think that is what they've been these last few years. Yeah, and their defense has been playing like the Super Bowl caliber defense we thought they were heading into the season. Now it's 2020 and offenses are just laying waste to opposing defenses all season long. So it might not sustain itself to the point where they needed to. But for the moment, they are showing that they're at that level. Let's go New England and the Chargers. No transition here. Let's just go to the 45 nothing game. Wow. We talked about the when the fire alarm went off in the last episode, which, by the way, if you haven't seen the fire alarm part, go check out the – go to the last episode and wherever the timestamp says Patriots-Chargers analysis, it's worth watching. Yeah, the point I want to make about that is that these things do not – these microphones do not pick up ambient noise. Like if you go a couple of yards that way, it's silence, right? Yeah. So for them to pick up the sound that they did on that fire alarm is an indication of just how freaking loud that thing is. I want to apologize to one of our listeners, too. He said all day he had, like, fire alarms going out either at his house or work. He had some sort of, sort of issue. And then he watched the podcast and heard ours, and it was like he thought he was going crazy. So shout out and apologies to him. Anyway, uh, when the before the fire alarms were going off, I think the conclusion, I was talking about all these matchups and charges patriots and somebody said i was rambling about stefan gilmore and they were probably right but i was like hey i think you know it'll be a good game but it'll be this coaching this it's this coaching mismatch that feels yeah the chargers always find a way to lose or they always find a way to screw things up and the patriots always seem to be the opposite it was that like on steroids in this game <laughs> special teams mishaps give me the Chargers special team stat that um i saw greg rosenthal tweeted out first Oh, and I, I think I have a better version of that. So, really? yeah, they kept having the wrong number of people on the field for any given uh, special teams play, which is, you know, not ideal, let's just say. It's, it's not that difficult. Um, but our, our friend of the show, Andrew Siciliano, Chargers special teams today. Missed field goal, 70-yard uh, punt return touchdown, only 10, mil, only 10 men on the field for the return, a blocked field goal for a Patriots touchdown, then too many men on the field for a punt gives the Patriots a first down on fourth and five. Uh, then they allow a 61-yard punt return. Um, and I think there was more. Like, there's, this was, like, somewhere during the middle of the game. They just kept going. They had 1.3 punts and the wrong people on the wrong number of people on the field for two of the three. This was just an absolute train wreck. And the funny thing is, 
parts of this you could see coming. Like heading into this game, we were saying we've seen this before, right? We already got to see what New England South did to Justin Herbert. It was bad. It was ugly. It was going to go badly. Belichick is already like a wizard against young rookie quarterbacks. And we already saw that it worked, right? The same system gave Justin Herbert by far his worst game of the season when, when Miami did it. That happened. So the Chargers offense was dead on arrival. The Chargers defense couldn't stop the Patriots running game. And the special teams was like they've never played football before. It was like you just grabbed 11 random guys and said, all right, this is roughly what you need to do in this play. Give it a shot. And they, that went about as predictably as you would expect. Herbert now has three of his four worst grades against the AFC East, the Bills, Dolphins, and Patriots. But to your point, it is that Belichickian connection, Brian Flores in Miami. I heard a noise, but it's not the fire alarm. No. Brian Flores in Miami and then Belichick in New England. That similar style. It did just feel – it just felt difficult for Herbert. Like, passes yeah. are contested. It's it's tighter windows. And, look, he's been far more impressive than he – you know, far more impressive stuff from Herbert this year than unimpressive, right? Yeah. But there are certainly parts of his game, how well he's played under pressure. Uh, the turnover-worthy plays have caught up to him in recent weeks. And just the fact that from a big-time throw standpoint – he had early in the season. He had three, five, four. Even the even the Mahomes of the world don't every single week throw three, four, five big time throws. Right? It's it's we we kept saying it was like man, it felt like Herbert was just okay outside of four or five plays. And if you don't have those four or five plays, then what are you? And that's just been that's just been Herbert these last few weeks. Yeah, this is difficult. It's one of those games where everything went. New England's way and it's you don't get to 45 nothing without like all three phases bouncing in your direction um but some like special teams was a train wreck that was gifting New England like half that win um Chase Winovich made a phenomenal interception for like for a pass rusher essentially to see where that ball was coming and then cut in front of it that was really good a ridiculous Herbert also threw it blind but sure but like that that's one of those plays 90% 90% of pass rushers don't even come close to making. For him to read that and cut in front of it was fantastic. Um, Cam Newton, like the Patriots won this game 45 nothing, and Cam Newton had 69 passing yards. That tells a story. There, right? there they didn't need to was, function on offense. And there was a point where he almost had the same number of rushing and passing yards. Right. He ended up with 69 passing yards, as you said, 48 on the ground on 14 carries. It's just another another player where the offense can move the like he's you know he's got the two touchdowns right so he can move the ball in short yardage so even when he's not doesn't have the cleanest passing game and it's become like it's become somehow insulting or like a a, a backhanded compliment to point out like how dominant he is as a rusher because somehow you're like sliding the the mental aspects or the passing parts of his game right which at the moment aren't really functioning that not the mental part the the passing part of his game is not exactly firing on all cylinders, right? It's yep. not all him. They have, like, one receiver who can get open. Yep. Um, but it's not the thing to focus on right now. So let's not focus on it just because we feel we should. Every time you watch that guy play, I am blown away by just how freaking huge he is and how powerful. At one point, Joey Bosa somehow gets him to the ground, gets up, and Cam Newton's bigger than Bosa. Bosa's six foot five and 280 pounds. Like, he's huge. And Cam Newton is bigger than him. Um, this is like back-to-back games that Joey Bosa has faced a quarterback that's like his his size or bigger. Josh Allen and then Cam Newton. That's probably the first time in that guy's life that's ever happened. 
but there was one other play that it, it showed up where, again, goal line sort of carries Cam Newton as like this cheat code, a bit like Kyler Murray, but in, in different styles. And at one point, he just lowers his shoulder, runs the hell right over a linebacker and a defensive back, like hits them two on one, plows over the linebacker and the defensive back obviously has no shot at bringing him down. But like, he's literally the only quarterback in the NFL that can do that. And oh, yeah. probably the only one that's ever been able to do it. So 45 nothing Patriots. Gunnar Olszewski, 38-yard touchdown with uh, Jarrett Stidham when he came yeah. in. Jarrett Stidham threw for 61 yards on three attempts, by the way. Yes. Cam threw for 69 on 19 attempts. And uh, What are you trying to say? There was also the punt return for the 70-yard touchdown. I mean, Cam's definitely just missing – he's just missing throws recently. He's yeah, I just – the thing to focus on with Cam Newton right now is the rushing ability. The fact oh, oh, that no, he I is this. I yeah. just, you know, I rail, I push back against the concept that that's somehow, you know, insulting, simple, and or incorrect. It's, no, they it are, is him right now. They are finding a way. Uh, let's go to the ridiculous Jets. <laughs> what a ridiculous finish. <sighs> the Jets tried to win the game, take themselves out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, and then Greg said, hell no, not on my watch. There was a lot. We can maybe combine it with the Jags it's and Greg Vikings, Williams. But there was a lot of Trevor Lawrence implications happening at the same time. Right. Which is like, for December football, it's, it's pretty exciting. Because, look, we think Trevor Lawrence is an absolute game changer. I mean, it's, it's like the, the next 10 to 15 years of the NFL is literally hanging in the balance every single week. When the Jets play, the Jaguars play. It's awesome, right? I mean, this happened. The Colts and the Jaguars played a game a few years back where the Jaguars won and the Colts got Andrew Luck. Yeah. And, yeah, they didn't win anything with Andrew Luck. And or this anything, happens but, all the time. Like Miami, it completely changed yeah. their franchise. Miami, we thought, took themselves out of the Tua sweepstakes by winning a couple of games late. Um, every year, there's a team that is in position to get the top one of the top picks in the draft win a couple of games he had no business winning late in the season and suddenly oh crap this just it's always the proof that like teams don't really tank because enough people in the building still want to win those games late in the season to save jobs for next year that they keep fighting hard even if you're institutionally trying to tank the guys playing on sunday aren't um and yeah this game at one point you had jacksonville and were they both leading at the same time um or at the least Jags were, the, the Jags scored a touchdown and got a two-point conversion to tie. Yes. So the, at, at one the point, same time, the Jets, the Jets were, were in the lead and the Jags were conspiring to throw away a potential game-winning spot right. for them. I think the time – look, and this is why I love 350 to 410 Eastern time, Sunday afternoon. There was five games where – quarterbacks were trying to lead fourth quarter comebacks you had Watson and Mike Glennon and Matt Ryan and Trubisky and everybody's trying to you know a lot of stuff's happening at the same time and the uh the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes was was going all over the place the Jets took the lead fantastic job coming back to take the lead but there was two big plays Greg Williams blitzing is the story but it happened a couple times there was fourth and eight I mean the play right before it was a oh, touchdown that yes. they missed Derek Carr missed multiple touchdowns, but like before even the game-winning drive, there was a fourth and eight blitz where Marcus May ended up grabbing Darren Waller, and that uh, gave the, the the Raiders a first down. But you remember the Derek Carr game a couple weeks ago against the Chiefs where it was like everything was perfect until the game-winning drive. Mm -hmm. This was the opposite for Carr. 
he was very fidgety. Say what you want about Greg Williams. He had Derek Carr very uncomfortable in the pocket in this game. He was, you know, four-man rush. He was just not feeling it, throwing off balance and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, the opposite happened in this game. Missed a few throws at the end, but he ends up hitting the game winner to Henry Ruggs. Do you want to make the – like, clearly, <laughs> people have made the point that that final call, the, you know, blitz, zero cover or zero blitz – uh, man coverage in the outside in that situation is pretty suicidal. Um, people were making the point like, oh, look, somebody made the call from above. They got a, they made sure to, to lose the game, get the Trevor Lawrence thing. The jokes are fun, but... But it is a joke, right? Like, yeah. no, if you're seriously making that argument, you're out of your mind. This is just Greg Williams, the play caller. That is what he does. This He's done this before. This is the style. This is what, if you're looking at, like, tendencies of Greg Williams' play calls, that will show up. Like, this is what he does. He is an aggressive, some may say, you know, overly aggressive to suicidal kind of defensive coordinator. And he will hang his players out to dry in an all-or-nothing attempt at winning the game right then. And when all or nothing doesn't go well, you end up with exactly what happened. Well, now use the information at hand that I just said. The entire game, Derek Carr looks rushed in the pocket. Right. Derek Carr, as we've mentioned... It wasn't even out of character for the game, let alone Greg right. Williams over his lifespan as a, he, as a play caller. He did get burned on the 4th and 8, which was the previous drive, as I mentioned. But throughout the game, Derek Carr looked rushed. Then he misses Nelson Aguilar for what could have been the game-winning touchdown on the previous play. So we dialed up the blitz again. And yeah, throwing the cornerback Lamar Jackson on an island against Henry Ruggs might not be the best, you know, call in the world. But you're making a guy make a quick decision and credit Derek Carr because when you when you, when when it's a zero blitz, you either have to retreat. Russell Wilson does this great. We have see Mahomes do it great. All you have to do is find room to throw the ball, right? You know the blitz is coming from everywhere somebody's going to be free at some point. Not everybody's going to win their block. You have to find space to make the throw. It's the most important part. And then you get to put it out there and make it catchable, right? Carr did that. He didn't retreat. He ended up stepping up a little bit, threw it a little off balance, and he put it on Henry Ruggs. I, I just give Carr a ton of credit for making that play that he didn't make right. Which, you know, previously. Well, that's also the reason why Lamar Jackson bit on the double move, right? Like time expiring, why would you ever jump on the first move? Is because they blitzed, so the ball had to come out quickly. So his yeah. he's thinking this ball is coming out fast. I can jump on the first move that I see. Only there was enough time for him to run the double move, and now you're just screwed, right? That's again, it's an all or nothing play call. You basically you dial this up for something to happen. If they find a way around it, you are just you're boned. There's no way of coming back from that. And as I say. Like the play before, they lost a deep touchdown as well. Like that, Aguilar was open beyond the defense. Carr threw it out the back of the end zone, missed him on it. They, this is the Jets. This is why they, <laughs> this is why they're heading for Trevor Lawrence. Man, the Raiders were getting. They got a career game from Cleveland Furl, strip sacking, and you know having a couple of really nice rushes against Makai Becton at left tackle. Uh, yeah, Raiders. They made a few plays. Look, they gave up a lot to this Jets offense, but they ended up making just enough plays, man, to, to hang in there. And the Jets remain the Jets. in the lead. Oh, okay. Well, in the lead. Yeah. For Trevor Lawrence. They do. And it they look like they need him. I mean, Sam Darnold didn't do anything in this game to make you think that Sam – like, I think Sam Darnold is broken to the point where he needs, you know, a, a stint as somebody's backup sitting on the bench to reset. I haven't changed – any any opinion of that coming out of this game like he just doesn't 
doesn't look right anymore. All right, a few more games to discuss here. Let's go to the Sunday night football game. Oh, no, do you want to talk Jags? We'll talk Jags-Vikings since we already All talked right. about it a little bit. Jags? Maybe the Jags are the unblowable team. They well, just hang tough every week. Yeah. This was... Tell me how bad the Vikings are. This is your usual. Well, this was... Like, the point is, why are Minnesota ever favored by, like, double digits to anybody this season? They're, they are not that good. And we saw that in this game. Like, the, the Vikings are just not good enough to be favored by that amount. And it's the defense, which had some big plays in this game, but they like they couldn't stop Mike Glennon and the Jags. That being said, there were some weird plays. Like, Mike Glennon's first touchdown pass bounces off the shoulder pad of a defender and it lands in the yeah, in the hands. you're going to blame the defense for that? I mean, it might have been easier if they'd stopped it getting past him as opposed to ricocheting into a touchdown. It's a freaky play. Um so that, you know, one kind of unlucky play. I This was the game, though, where you were talking before about how the Titans are better when they get shocked into, like, a 30-point deficit and just have to say, screw it, let's let's air it out. If the Vikings believed at all times that they were 10 points down, they would be a much better team. Yeah. But instead, they don't. They want to grind the ball out. They are reluctant to throw it to their best players, and they allow teams like the Jags to hang around and actually threaten to beat them and need a, you know, need a series of game-winning drives because their kicker can't make a kick. Look, I know it's the Jaguars and their defense, but if we could look at this... By the way, there was a point. Dalvin Cook had a few nice runs at the end, and he finally and he got over 100 yards. They, the Vikings were in overtime, and they could have kicked the field goal at any time. As soon as Dalvin got over 100, I was like, all right, now you can kick it. Dalvin got to 100, you're going to win because hmm. you got him over 100. Dalvin did run the ball often, but... Kirk Cousins did not necessarily play all that well. But because you have a good pass system, you have a good system there that creates throws. And you have a Justin Jefferson who's becoming one of the better receivers in the league. And you have Adam Thielen who's already one of the better receivers in the league. And every now and again, you put the ball in Dalvin's hands in space, and he's really tough to tackle, right? Jaguars defensive coordinator Todd Wash gave the usual. We got to stop Dalvin Cook. We got to put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands and these receivers. Do you really want to do that, though? Like, as a defensive coordinator, do you really want to do that? Because over time, Justin Jefferson getting open and creating 20 and 30-yard plays is far more dangerous than Dalvin Cook. Handoff after handoff after handoff. Yeah, it's it is. It's the same old story, right? It, look, the one of the biggest, one of the, I think, the clearest and simplest, it's not nuance but the easiest ways of pointing out why passing is more effective than rushing is just the numbers of yards per attempt versus yards per attempt right yards per rushing attempt versus yeah. yards per passing attempt the running is easy because it's a it's it's a an actual product of it's some kind of gain plus or minus every single play right other than the, the you know the tackle for no gain where as opposed to the incomplete pass which is like a nothing right but in this game, just the passes to their three best receivers, right? Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, right? Uh, 23, or sorry, uh, a ton of targets to those guys. 11 to Jefferson, 11 to Thielen, um, 8 to Dalvin Cook. Um, and those guys racked up like 250-odd yards. Like the yards per attempt figures for those guys is so much better than just however many carries you can give Dalvin Cook. 
Yeah, and so that's why, from like a defensive coordinator standpoint, I still think, and this is where the Packers have lost in the playoffs a few times, right? Because they play a light box and they play nickel and dime and all that stuff. You want to take your chances at stopping the run with fewer guys. 8.5 yards per attempt, by the way, to that trio. Just for, just to the trio. I did that math initially, but I was looking at receptions, so I, I had to pivot. I had I'm to pivot and rerun the numbers. Look, you, you figured it out. Yeah, 8.5. So, but, like, you know, think of the game that Dalvin Cook would have to have to make it better to hand the ball off to Dalvin Cook over and over again as opposed to just throwing it at those three guys. And that's without, like, the fumble, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Dalvin Cook has to have the game of his life for, to make that more efficient. It and happens yet, two or three times a year. Right, and yet every game, that's what you want to do. Yeah, so my point on this one, too, is Kirk Cousins didn't play a great game, got away with some stuff. He had been playing really efficient and all that. And they still, again, I know it's the Jaguars' defense, they still had an efficient passing attack. So, anyway, Vikings win 27-24. They're in the wild card race right now. They're officially in. Right, right, yeah, yeah. They they went from one and five. They jumped into the postseason, the the last wild card spot as of yesterday. They play the seven and five bucks next. I week. don't think they'll make it still, but they for now, if the playoffs started tomorrow, they would be in. They play the seven and five bucks next week in a huge game, obviously with playoff implications. Because if the Vikings win, they're both seven and six, yeah. and they would have the tiebreaker over the box right like the pff projections that were popping up on nbc last night um they don't like the vikings as a playoff team even though they're in the spot right now because of the remaining strength of schedule and what the projections essentially te- uh, predict happening for the remainder of the games that's because eric hates kirk obviously it's eric yeah it's all eric's fault all right denver broncos kansas city chiefs on sunday night football 22 was it 22 16 was the final Yes. It was another one of those games. So here's the question for the for the listeners in the Twitter sphere. People are complaining because when the when the Steelers win a close game, mm-hmm. people say, "Ah, the Steelers aren't that good." When the Chiefs win a close game, there are excuses made. Mm-hmm. I'm an excuse maker for the <laughs> Chiefs. So, do you have a different take on this? Do the uh, are the Chiefs playing it too close? to the Denver Broncos of the world? And do you have they lost any luster in your eyes? So the difference between the two in those terms, and it's a fair argument to make, right? When, when, the, when the Steelers play teams close, it's because, oh, look, they're playing down to their level. They're really not that good. They're, they're a fraud team, undefeated 11-0, whatever. When the Chiefs do it, it's they, they're championship caliber. They win close games. This is what it's all about. Um, why the double standard? Well, the reason for the double standard is the same reason that we've been harping on about all season, which is the quarterbacks, right? Ben Roethlisberger is a championship caliber quarterback. The man has championships, right? But he's not really playing at that kind of level right now. He's more than Patrick Mahomes, by the way. The level of the difference between the two of them right now in terms of baseline of play is insane. So even when the Chiefs are struggling to get to where they should be, right? I mean, the point I was making last night is that the margin for error for the Chiefs is massive because they're so good. The margin for error to beat the Chiefs is tiny because they're so good, right? Look at Derek Carr. A guy has the game of his life, is basically perfect for 59 and a half minutes of the game and winds up down with 30 seconds to go, right? He, you couldn't do it any better and he was in a hole. The same thing is true basically every game. You need to be perfect, and they don't. 
Uh, and the reason they don't is because they have Patrick Mahomes, who just finds this too easy. And when you give him the ball with any kind of shot late in the game, it's it's pitch and catch. That's it. I mean, look. I... And the same thing, the point is the same thing is not true with Roethlisberger right now, right? Roethlisberger is playing reasonably well. He's he's a pretty good facilitator. He's efficient. If everything else is going well, he can get the ball where it needs to go. But he does not have the same inbuilt margin for error where if other people are letting this side down, that he can pick it up, pick up all the slack and get it done anyway. So in this game, you have Tyreek Hill dropping and then not dropping a touchdown that they didn't realize was a well, touchdown. I'll give you the three plays. Okay, do it. I give think. me the three plays. There's a reason why it didn't feel as close. Yeah. Early on, Mahomes missed a touchdown. And yeah. that's on Mahomes, right? Sure. But at any given time, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey can just get open and create yeah. chunk plays. He missed Tyreek Hill early. Tyreek actually did catch a touchdown. Having dropped it. Over 50 yards. Yeah. Dropped it and caught it, and it should have been. And they just, like, they forgot to challenge. Yes. But that's the Chiefs' fault. It's their fault yeah. for not challenging. But, like, it happened. So, so it's Tyreek, his fault for not just catching it cleanly in the first place. It is. Yeah. It's the Chiefs' fault. But, again, it comes down to this. At any given time, Tyreek Hill is a 50-yard right. touchdown waiting to happen. So that's two. Uh-huh. And then there was an actual 50-yard touchdown that was negated by holding. Right. Chiefs' fault, once again. And critically, two of the three and 14 points, therefore, were not Mahomes' fault, right? So if his teammates yeah. let him down to the tune of 14 points, it doesn't matter because Mahomes is good enough to make up that slack. If Roethlisberger's teammates let him down to the tune of 14 points, does he have 14 points in him at any given moment? Yeah. My argument would be no, and that's the difference between the two teams. The reason you default to the Chiefs are better than that, they are, you know, it's, it's more comfortable for them, is because you know 14 points from Mahomes is nothing. It really isn't. Like, them in a 14-point hole is unlike any other team in a 14-point hole. And that's the reason you go, it's not the same thing, even if they're even if you can look at it in broad terms and say, these are comparable teams struggling to wins, um, and yet the narrative is different for each one. Then on top of all that, the Broncos do not go for it on fourth and three, right around midfield, about six minutes left in the game. And look, I don't, I don't buy into the Twitter reaction and all that stuff usually, but every now and again, the general consensus is right. If you're a Chiefs fan, you're like, thank you for punting right now thank you for punting and people are like well you don't you don't punt the ball to Patrick Mahomes there was six minutes left in the game if you punted to Big Ben or something like that you're like all right yeah, you punt to Big Ben you make a stop you get the ball back and you try to go up against this tough Steelers defense the Chiefs took five minutes off the clock including Mahomes on third down just keeping the play alive enough to complete a pass to keep the clock running like little stuff like that makes the Chiefs so difficult to beat so they ran 10 plays 55 yards kicked a field goal and then the broncos are left to like here's a minute with no timeouts go good luck this was also i mean it's also a good example of you know sometimes you can look at it and say well they haven't been scoring we like our defense it's playing really well you know we we want to uh lean on our defense and trust them you're like yeah but they hadn't been scoring but they had been moving the ball very easily right so it's not like you can just say, well, they haven't really scored that much, so we can trust our defense to get the ball back and give us a shot. It's like, yeah, but they had been moving the ball, which is all they need to do to chew the time off and you know, ruin your afternoon. Like, it's, not, it's not like your defense has been throttling them and you can expect to get the ball back in a minute and a half having you know, only burned three, you know, three and out. That wasn't likely to happen. Let's get everybody mad here. Patrick Mahomes is awesome. I always nice. start with this. When I used to talk about Tim Tebow, Uh-oh. I'd always be like, he's a great going? guy, but. 
right? Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Like I'm not, I'm not trashing Tim's character. I'm, he's just not good at football. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is awesome, but yeah, I am fascinated to know what he would look like without Travis Kelsey, tight end one one a. However, right now in the NFL, right with him and Kittle one, one this okay. year anyway. Let's give him that. Okay, tight end one and wide receiver one. And if Tyreek's not wide receiver one, he's at least, over the last three or four years, the biggest deep threat yeah. in the NFL. So, you know, Mahomes has to get them the ball, all that stuff. How awesome would Mahomes be if he didn't have the best tight end and the best receiver in the NFL? And this isn't revisionist history. Like, those guys were still awesome with Alex Smith, mm -hmm. right? What would they be like? And because that's what makes the Chiefs so scary. Because yeah. literally at any time, you're just expecting Tyreek Hill to be wide open behind the defense. And at any time, if Travis, if Travis Kelsey is one-on-one, -on -one, he's just winning that matchup. And Mahomes is awesome, but how, how much do they affect his life? I think they affect it. I mean, this was the thing with Mahomes, is he's the best quarterback in the NFL, arguably the best player in the NFL I think people a lot of people say that's a certainty I'm not willing to move off the Aaron Donald thing just yet yeah it's a value I mean, whatever value he's as good, good as there is in the NFL uh, he also has maybe the best quarterback situation in the NFL right he's got Andy Reid and a a group of elite weapons uh Tyree Kill Travis Kelsey but also those other guys aren't bad either like it's that's what makes him so formidable is that not only did you get the best quarterback, but you surrounded him with the best of everything else as well. Yeah, S Sammy Watkins is not a slouch. I mean, right. And that's why you're absurd. Yeah. Um, so I think it matters. It doesn't explain, you know, Patrick Mahomes. It's not like it's like the Tom Brady thing, right? Like he isn't a system guy just because the system around him is also helping. Right. Like Patrick Mahomes is not a product of Andy Reid and the weaponry, but they don't hurt. Like They clearly add value on top of what he's already doing. The reason why you're afraid to punt the ball down with six minutes left, and the reason why it feels like the Chiefs at any time can score is because of this the, entire, the entirety of the body of work uh, or the entirety of the roster and the personnel, which includes Patrick Mahomes. But they're also another another team like the Vikings, like the Titans, who are better when you put them in the position of needing to pass constantly, right? And so that can be done either when you're down multiple scores, like we've seen last postseason, right? Every single game, suddenly they're in a hole quickly and it, it makes them better. Um, or it can be done when time is expiring, right? The clock is running down, the seconds are ticking away, and you don't have time to run the ball. Again, the Chiefs become more dangerous. So the later in the game you get, and the more time or the, the less time on the clock, the least the less you want to kick them the damn ball and give them the shot. Because like the thing that some of the things that explain Mahomes, it's not the like seventy yard bomb, whatever. It's the like third and what was it seven late in the game where he's running to his left. And somehow, like, turns and fires a little ball, like, yeah. in traffic to a guy back across. Like, no quarterback should do that. And yet, he, not only does he do it, but it's not even, like, a difficult throw for him. And it, it just it helps. Every little tiny bit helps. And it's a freaky play that most quarterbacks can't even think about attempting. And it just marginal gains every single play. That's why I say Mahomes is awesome. But he creates stuff that shouldn't be there. Kelsey's open all the time. Tyreek's open all the time. Andy schemes it up with the enemy. They scheme it up really well all the time as well. And if one of them is just a little bit off, well, you've got three other options. Right, <laughs> which again is, is the difference between them and the Steelers. Well, there you go. Steelers are going to play the football team on Monday night.
We also have Bills 49ers. So three games left this week. Yeah, and then Dallas and Baltimore on Tuesday night. All right, two more games. Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. This was a crazy finish to the game. The Lions looked like they were out of it, get a strip sack, and uh, they pull it off. Mitchell Trubisky, again, looks like a Lions killer. At least the stats said that, but he started to make a few few poor plays down the stretch there. Lions win 34-30. to 30. The new coach, the new coach, Dar- like Daryl uh, Bevel, but the new coach deal always seems to work out. You always get that win as the interim coach. Yeah. Even if it was freaky. Which also now just makes the, the win numbers against Chicago look all the more comical for the previous Bears coaches. Um, so the last, the last, what, two plus the current one, or last three, they're 10 and one against the Detroit Lions, right? So Caldwell, uh, uh, Caldwell, Daryl Bevel, and who's the third guy I'm thinking of? Anyway, they're 10 and one against the Detroit Lions. Schwartz? Yes. Schwartz. Whereas uh, Matt Patricia, 0 and 5. So it feels a little bit like, you know, the, the Michigan Ohio State rivalry where it doesn't matter how well you're doing overall. If you can't beat the other one, you're getting fired pretty quickly. That was Matt Patricia. 0 and 5 against the Bears. I'm sorry, get out of here. And we're not going 0 and 6. Leave. And even though Trubisky still had really good stats, I mean, Trubisky's. Trubisky's Lions, non-Lions career splits are just insane, <laughs> right? Um, still had a passer rating of 108, touchdown, 267 yards. Matthew Stafford, it was big-time throw Stafford, which was great. Nice deep balls to Quentin Cephas, uh, to Cephas and Marvin Jones, and Hawkinson had some big plays and everything. So finally the Lions offense looking like that big play offense I was expecting. 402 passing yards for Matthew Stafford. Yeah. I thought for the – the bright spot for the Bears early also on. five big-time throws. Yes. The story was going to be David Montgomery's nifty Iowa State-ish runs for two touchdowns, right? Just making people miss and don't need that top-end speed that we joke about all the time if you're making them guys miss in and around the line of scrimmage and getting into the end zone. But um, the Bears actually ran the ball really efficiently. Cordero Patterson, he had a touchdown in the backfield, too. He had 10 carries for 59. Um, but again, it was Romeo Aquara had the biggest play of the game. It was the strip sack that just all of a sudden gave the Lions the improbable comeback opportunity. Yeah, and it really was. This is one of those games where if you look on the the sort of win probability graph, you know, where it's uh, two teams and then the, the, the line plots how close either team was to winning it, it was like all Chicago, all game long until right at the end it just fires back in the direction of Detroit. They shouldn't have won this game, but they, they found a way to do it with a critical turnover at a critical time. All right, let's go Bengals-Dolphins to wrap things up here. I Did anybody survive this game without getting ejected? Were there not? But you knew, and there were no no punches thrown. Not in the first Early round. On. There might have been punches Early thrown on. in the second. Fracas. The actual footballing in this game. You have a seventy-two yard touchdown to Tyler Boyd, which uh, this was uh, pretty much the same play. Deshaun Watson had a play like this a couple weeks ago. It's a little pass to the flat. It's the it's, like it's a, the combine drill, right? You know they throw the they throw the out route to the sideline. The guy is supposed to catch it turn up field before he hits the sideline and go yeah. right and you never actually get the chance to do that in the nfl because either there's a cornerback right behind you who shoves you out or you just you can't t- make that turn you hit the sideline and it's it's just a catch but he did <laughs> he, yeah. he made the out he managed to turn the corner run around the cornerback and just head up the sideline and it's like a half it's a half pick and a half screen all in one right because you've got the other receiver is going to be blocking and and if there's a little bit of traffic there you have that free run so brandon cooks had it a couple weeks ago 
for a long touchdown. Tyler Boyd gets it. 72-yard touchdown. That was it for the Bengals. This happens early on. They get a 7-0 lead. They're shut out from the, the rest of the way. Um, I'm, I'm watching the eight-box mix all the time, trying to keep tabs. Every time I looked up, it's not just Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley. There's a, there a Bengals quarterback getting sacked, and the Dolphins' defense just, just cracked down. They also, I mean, what were the Bengals going to do? They can't pass block all that well. Brandon Allen's not that good, and so Miami dominated the rest of the game. Yeah, Tyler Boyd gets ejected after that for throwing a punch, allegedly, even though no punches yes. were thrown. Uh, then, yeah, the, the late – and <laughs> the reason that this kept kicking off is because Mike Thomas, the not good one, was the gunner and kept destroying the punt return guy before the ball arrived. He was the instigator. Yeah, twice. Like the second, the first one was reasonably close. The second one, he was there way early and just like spear tackled Jakeem Grant before the punt had a chance to land in his arms. Clearly illegal, right? Flags fly and then the ball bounces off and then everything, everybody gets involved in like a bench clearing uh, melee, including um, Brian Flores was out there like throwing words at people, getting dragged off by his own coaches. It was great fun, and then everyone gets ejected. So 19-7, to Dolphins win. What did you Most, make of Tua? So he was okay. His best, his best throw was to Jakeem Grant, a deep post that was dropped. He, then he comes back two or three plays later and throws a pass that should have been picked. It was just, you know, every time Tua does something pretty good, I think there's, there's some good and some bad, and just back and forth. It's going to end up in, in a pretty average grade. Um, I think he's done a nice job of letting guys go up and make plays, though. Mike Gusecki was really good in this game. He had the uh, two as one touchdown. He's been a tough cover at tight end, and he's really emerged um, at points. And I think I think the Dolphins are starting. They used Lynn Bowden quite a bit as you know this you know hybrid. You know he was what is he? He was a quarterback slash receiver. At, he was really a receiver turned quarterback in Kentucky. He's a running back. He's a receiver. They used him a lot. Used Gusecki. You have Devontae Parker who didn't have a great game, but he's had. He's had moments. I think the Dolphins are stitching it together offensively, and Tua was just okay overall. Yeah. Um, his It's funny. You, you every now and again ragging his arm a little bit. But, you know, poo, arm, not so great. A little yeah. bit of a noodle. I've said that before, yeah. Yeah. It, it is like it. It clearly isn't great. I don't like it. I. It seems to be functional. It reminds me a little bit of this is not in terms of quality of player, but in terms of arm. It reminds me a little bit of Drew Brees' arm, right? Where it's never been great. It's never even been particularly good, but it's really accurate and it gets the ball where it needs to be with the correct timing. So it doesn't really matter most of the time. Like there's a couple of plays where he was like rolling out and then just sort of heaved it with every last might, like ounce of might he had in his frame. And it goes like 20 yards, but lands perfectly at eye level yeah. in the guy's hands. You're like, it feels like that shouldn't have been that hard to make that throw. And yet, be, it, it got where it needed to go and that's really all that matters he so i i said the same thing and not, not just because they're from hawaii but marcus Mariota, i don't think has a very good arm as far as velocity goes but he's got a quick release the comparison i made for tua coming out of the draft was jimmy garoppolo and i stand by that for a couple of reasons as well it's a quick release jimmy like nobody's ever watched jimmy garoppolo and said what laser right. cannon right quick release gets there and kind of make and he makes some like off you know off platform under pressure weird arm angle yeah. you know type of throws and he gets them there right? that that element is probably quite important like if you have a let's say marginal nfl arm even though i think it's probably more than that if you have a marginal nfl arm 
being able to have the same, being able to also get the ball where it needs to go from weird angles and off balance is important. If you're only able to get the ball where it needs to go from a perfect platform when you have, you know, your correct footwork yeah. under you, that's probably an issue. You're limited. Right, but yeah. if you can do all of that, including from weird angles and on the run and all those kinds of things, then it's probably less important. It probably, it, it, it just gives you more tools to work with. I think, I think the, his arm is probably slightly better than that, and it's actually just a, it's a functional NFL arm. It's the yeah. type where if he plays, if he gets his play to the level where, you know, he's a, fun, he's a good NFL starter for 10 years, we probably won't mention his arm until it falls off a cliff at the end of his career. It, it's like I explained to you about uh, an average major league fastball is 90, and it has nothing to do with how many fastballs are thrown in the majors. It's just like this is – it's not that half are below this and half are above it. It's just this is average. This is like the base – it's the baseline essentially. And if you have 32 NFL starters, probably 28 of them have an average arm. It, you know, and I think if he's in that average arm category, I think. But when you're – it's the opposite of what we said about Taysom Hill though. I think Taysom has enough zip on the ball that he doesn't have to play with pristine timing. I think Tua – yeah, has to play with pristine timing. Jimmy Garoppolo has to play with really good timing. And other guys, they just have a smaller margin of error when it comes to playing with timing and anticipation. It's the sliders we talked about. It's your sliders. But I think his are there. I think he's got the right balance, right? If his arm is lower on the arm strength slider, I think he is higher on accuracy and anticipation. So here's, he's, a, he's here's, my, here's the thing with Tua. It's another solid outing. I've yeah. yet to have a game where I've been excited sure. about Tua. And I think that's just where I'm at right now. Might be excited about this Dolphins defense, not to overreact to Brandon Allen and uh, poor Bengals offensive line, but the D Dolphins D can can cover on the back end. Did we hit every game before we wrap it up? Uh, you tell me. I haven't been paying attention. I wrote them in the dock. I think we got all 12. There's three more left, and there's two teams on bye. Yeah, then we're good. Right? Did I do the right math? I think we got everybody. So that's it. Week 13 is in the books. Of course, listen, Adam Schefter interview from last week I think was awesome go check that out if you haven't already if you're listening on Monday Austin correct me if I'm wrong Cyber 40 is still available as of December 7th and sometimes we extend it but if you're listening on Monday this is your last chance 40% off all PFF subscriptions Cyber 40 Cyber 40 40% off all PFF subscriptions <laughs> is Austin dropping a no, no I, I just think that the 40 seems like the least part of, I, if you're going to spell it out it seems like the the word would be the thing to spell out not the number i have the last two episodes c-y-b-e-r four zero cyber 40 40 percent off all pff subscriptions and we'll be back here thursday pre pre we're in week 14 next week previewing all the week 14 action in the nfl it's fantasy playoff time you excited are you, Fired up? Uh, are you there in the the expert league yeah of course yeah. in the playoffs i think it's it's really tight at the top in the expert league though. yeah but i was nine and three some stuff's going to happen here in these next couple of games, though, for me to get to 10 and 3 here. Okay. But, uh, but we're there. We're still doing well there. So good luck to everybody in your fantasy playoffs. We'll talk to you Thursday, week 14 action. Mm -hmm.